How can you defend a position you believe blindly or never truly even studied? Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses are not Christians. They believe in an entirely different Jesus, a Jesus that doesn't save. Is your life meaningless and purposeless? Ask Bertrand Russell. He says our existence is pitiless indifference. Our children being in a Christian home make them no more a Christian than them standing in the garage makes them a car. They need to hear the gospel and receive the gift of salvation personally. Welcome to Contending for Christ Apologetics, where we contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Welcome back to Contending for Christ Apologetics. I have with me today my lovely wife, Rebecca, and we're going to be discussing a little bit about the COVID-19 pandemic in a particular Bible verse that many people believe plays a role in its defeat. Rebecca, I'm so glad you joined me today. So am I. Thanks for having me. The verse you read at the beginning of the show is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. And it's actually the one that we're going to be focusing on today. How often have you seen this verse posted on Facebook, email, or just really anywhere? I've actually seen it quite, quite a lot lately. It seems to be the, the main one that's going around right now that everybody's sharing. Why do you even think this verse is being so much talked about as of late? I believe that many people look at what is going on in the world today with the coronavirus, and they believe that the only way to be delivered from this pandemic is to claim this verse, sort of like a four-step process. You know, it's, it's even the same verse that we saw with 9-11 back when the towers fell. This verse was one of a few verses that was plastered everywhere, and it seems this verse is just really what I call like a catchphrase or a catch verse. People want to actually invoke these verses whenever crises happen. But today we're not talking about that. You actually have some questions about how we can know if Second Chronicles 7.14 even applies to the COVID situation. And if not, what does it even apply to, correct? Exactly. Before we come to scripture, what do we need to know about the passage in order to properly understand it? So that's a great question. And in order to accurately understand passages, we need to understand a few things first. And what we're talking about here right now isn't going to be exhaustive. We're going to have actually other videos and other episodes that talk about exhaustive study and things you need to know. But as far as historical narratives, genres play a big role. Historical narrative is just that. It's history being written down for us to read. And when we're trying to understand historical narratives, we need to understand a couple things, a couple periods. First, what epoch, what era, what generation, if you will, did this take place? Did this take place pre-intra or post-patriarchal period? the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see in Second Chronicles, this is post-patriarchal, meaning that it's not specifically referencing an individual. It's not talking about lineage. It's mainly talking about Israel as a nation. Israel's already established, so the focus is on Israel. The other thing we need to look at as far as the apocryphal period, is this, is, is this under a monarchy or a theocracy? See, a theocracy is when God has specifically ruled and governed the nation. Whereas a monarchy is when a human being is actually in charge of the nation and is ruling and reigning. And this is a person that God had appointed upon the throne. So looking at our passage here, we're seeing that this is during the monarchy period. The first king that Israel had was selected by the people of Israel, and that was the King Saul. You remember King Saul, right? Yes, I do. And then after Saul was David. 
-hmm. and then David reigned for quite a while, and now we're seeing Solomon. Solomon, who is David's son, is now the monarch of the nation of Israel. And so we're seeing this as post-patriarchal during the monarchy period of Israel. But it doesn't stop there. We need to understand what is the covenantal period. This is actually quite important because this allows us to understand how God is working, whether in Israel or within mankind as a whole. The two main covenants that we really focus on in interpretation in the most the two main covenants that people are most familiar with are the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. Basically, we have the Mosaic Covenant, which is the period of the law, the era of law. And then we have the New Covenant, which is really the era of grace. We have the law of Moses and the law of Messiah. One's looking toward the cross and one's looking back at the cross. And what we find here in this covenantal period is that Second Chronicles actually takes place during the Mosaic Covenant period. This is when God has specifically covenanted with Israel, had a binding agreement with Israel that was actually conditional. There was only two covenants that God made with Israel that were conditional. Five others were unconditional. And the conditional covenant here in the Mosaic Covenant is the fact that God said, if you obey and do this, I will bless you these way. If you disobey and do this, you will be judged by me of this way. So that's very important when understanding the Old Testament or any passage of Scripture. Was this prior to the era of grace? Was this during the era of law? That is vital. And then finally, the surrounding context. This is looking at the immediate context as well as the surrounding context. Really what I've heard a pastor say before out here was the 2020 rule. And it's just a general guideline, and I actually like it, and I adopt it. What it is, is when we're looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, we want to look at 20 verses before it and 20 verses after it to try to get a general idea of the surrounding context. What's happening? What's being said? Who are the characters? What's the setting? What's the climax? How do they get victorious? Things like that. So those are some of the very basic things when we're trying to understand Scripture on what we want to try to find out in order to properly exegete this. Hmm. Okay. I'm sure there's much more that should be understood, but for sake of time, we'll stop with that. I know you're putting together a study on the YouTube channel on proper Bible study methods. Regarding the surrounding context, what do we see here in Second Chronicles chapter 7? Well, actually, here in chapter 7, with chapter 7, verse number 14, which is the verse you read, that if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their own hand. The surrounding context, basically what's happening, Solomon just recently dedicated the temple of God. We see this in the beginning of chapter 7. God's Shekinah glory comes down, fills the temple, revealing God's approval of the temple. The fact that God says later in chapter 7 that he's going to accept the temple, it'll be a place where he'll put his name, and that he'll accept sacrifices there. We see that in verse 12. The surrounding context is of that Solomon dedicating a temple that was finally built after plenty of years and God receiving the temple. Verse of interest for us is about healing the land in verse 14. Because here God says he will forgive their sin and what? Will heal their land. That's going to be a very interesting part that we're going to talk about. Key though also is going to be in verse number 12. Verse number 12, it says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. What's interesting about that? 
is God is responding to a prayer that Solomon had prayed in the previous chapter. We can read this prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 21 through 42. So what's happening? What's the surrounding context? Basically, the temple was finished being built. God's Shekinah glory came, filled the temple, showing his acceptance, his putting his name there, his receiving it to be a place of sacrifice, and then telling Solomon everything that's going to be discussed in chapter 7, verses 12 onward, is in response to a prayer Solomon had prayed. So this verse is God's response to a prayer that Solomon made eight days earlier. It's in his prayer that Solomon had prayed to God for God's mercy should the nation fail. So we see this in chapter 6, verses 26 through 31. When the heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou from heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel. When thou hast taught them the good way wherein they should walk, and send rain upon thy land, which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance. If there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew, locusts or caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore or whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man or of all thy people Israel, when every one shall know his own sore and his own grief, and shall spread forth his hands in his house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and render unto every man according unto all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they live in the land which thou hast, which thou gavest unto our fathers. Exactly. You see, the prayer of Solomon is very vital in understanding verse 14, when God says, If my people which are called by my name. In verse 13, of the passage, God mentions the drought. He mentions locusts. He mentions the pestilence about the land and of the people. Drought, locusts, pestilence, and plague. God tells Solomon of different ways he's going to break Israel should they depart again from his ways. And if they end up going after other gods. What's interesting is the drought of rain, the locusts devouring the land, and the pestilence upon the cattle. Each of these has to do with their land. It's interesting you got to realize that they're agrarian society, agricultural. They get produce from the land, harvest, the drought to prevent the good harvest, the locusts to devour the harvest, the pestilence to destroy the livestock and cause plagues. What's interesting is that each of these areas are means of which God had ordained the Jews to make sacrifices. Remember, in the book of Leviticus, the grain offerings, the meat offerings, the burnt offerings. God is going to destroy those means by which the Jews are supposed to be sacrificing in order to be reconciled back to God. God doesn't need these sacrifices, but he made a way for man to be reconciled back to him through his mercy. And yet it's just quite fascinating that these droughts, pestilence, and locusts have to do each with an area of a sacrifice that the Jews are supposed to make and how it's going to cause estrangement between them and God. What's also interesting is these three judgments are sent among his people. That's what it says. You see, like we already talked about, God had covenanted with the Israelites under Moses. And we see this in the Mosaic Covenant. And the God, God saying, if you do this good and you obey, I'll bless you this way. If you disobey, you'll be judged this way. We see it in Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 29. Drought 
and pestilence are specifically expressly covenanted in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 21 and 24. What's also interesting are a few of these phrases, how they're used and what they actually mean in response to Solomon's prayer. Remember, God says here, if my people which are called by my name. In verse 14, he points back to the Mosaic covenant still. And we can see in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. I'm actually going to turn there for a second. I'm going to read that real quick. Because a lot of times we look at if my people which are called by my name, we think, oh, that's talking about Christians. Or that's mm -hmm. talking about Christ. Remember, during this period, this is the apocryphal period. This was prior to the cross, after the patriarchs. This is post-patriarchal. We can actually see that the Jews, the Israelites, are people called by God's name. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. And we read this. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of the Lord. And so, called by my name is a reference back to the Mosaic Covenant. Again, you got to remember the covenantal period that this passage is taking place is during the Mosaic Covenant. And all of this fits. Then another passage, another phrase of the passage that's interesting is where God says they need to humble themselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from their wicked ways. Again, when we're looking at the Mosaic Covenant, we can see this clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. All these things in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 30 still takes into the account of the drought and the pestilence of Deuteronomy 28, part of the covenant. Then God says they need to humble themselves. What is humbleness? It's submitting to the authority, the power, and the rulership of God. They need to pray. And in the Hebrew, when you actually look at the word pray here in this passage, it actually brings the idea of intervention or petitioning. The people need to petition and beg and plead to God as the source of judgment and for release. This is a very humbling thing because this is breaking the Jews and realizing they can't fix this on themselves. They need to pray and petition to God in humility and authority, submission underneath God. Then they're told they need to seek his face. This is to look for God, to search him out. This isn't just a one verse, one time prayer, but a specific search. This is like a search party that the Jews are doing. It's not like this catchphrase or this catch verse that we want to throw 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 out there and just name it and claim it, sort of like what you said earlier, and mm -hmm. just claim this passage. God tells them they need to seek his face. I'll be hardly pressed to find anybody really in modern day Christianity that is truly seeking his face, specifically in petitioning and prayer. Then God tells them that they need to turn. They need to turn around. They need to repent from what it was that brought that judgment, from the judgment of the drought, the locust, the pestilence. They can see clearly in the Mosaic Covenant of Deuteronomy 27 through 30 what they need to do. And God is reiterating and reinstituting, if you will, the Mosaic Covenant. He says, only then, he says, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Forgiveness is only found by humbleness and prayer and seeking God and then turning around. And again, remember, Israelites are an agrarian society. They need their land to be restored as a nation, as a people. The fact that God says he's going to heal their land 
This is a figurative way to paint a mental word picture in saying that God's going to restore the land's harvest and plenty. It just paints a beautiful medical picture of healing a land. And again, it's still part of the Mosaic Covenant. Everything in this passage deals with the Mosaic Covenant that God had covenanted with Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. Realize one thing. When God says that he's going to heal their land, he's talking about a specific parcel of land. Neither Christians nor the church ever had a land or a parcel or a plot of territory on the earth that was specifically given to them. Only the nation of Israel was ever given a plot of land. This healing of the land is a specific reference to the land of God's people that God gave them during the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, so based on all that, how should this verse be properly interpreted? Well, the passage is, like I said, is more of a reaffirming or reinstituting, if you will, the Mosaic Covenant to Solomon. Based upon, again, Solomon's prayer at the Temple Dedication, because we're told clearly that God is responding to Solomon's prayer. He reiterates the conditions that he had covenanted with his father David and the nation of Israel since Solomon was the king. Should Israel slip and stumble? God said he's going to bring these judgments upon Israel, not because he's a wicked God, but he wants to break them. He wants to bring them back into an abiding fellowship. And this isn't anything unknown to Israel. Israel had covenanted with God in this as well. It wasn't a one-sided agreement like the Abrahamic covenant. This was a mutual agreement that Israel and God had made together. The removing of the judgment would come through the national humility and repentance, at which time God's going to end up removing the judgment like he promises. A matter of fact, we've actually seen this enforced numerous times in the Old Testament. We see it in the period of the judges. We see it with the Assyrian captivity in Sennacherib. We even see it in the greatest Babylonian, excuse me, Babylonian captivity. Understand. The passage and surrounding context of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 has nothing to do with America or the current COVID-19 pandemic. So this, prop, this verse properly understood is reinstituting, reaffirming, uh, discussing again the covenant that God had made with Israel and his acceptance of the temple during that monarchy period. Okay, uh, but isn't all of scripture available for application today? Definitely. All the scripture is applicable today. Realize though, there's one true interpretation. Got to realize that scripture was written to specific people at a specific time in a specific period of history. And then when we're dealing with historical narratives like the book of Second Chronicles is, we have to understand really the play, if you will, the movie. It's made up of a bunch of different scenes. We just got to realize what is happening then. What is happening to them? What is a lesson we can draw out of there? There's one true interpretation, but there could be numerous applications to a passage. So how do we apply Second Chronicles 7.14 to our life today? Well, I'll tell you how we don't apply it. We don't apply it as seeing COVID-19 as a judgment against America or a judgment against the world because God has not covenanted this with anyone but Israel. What we see as far as judgments of God is we see in Revelation that God will bring judgment through the great tribulation period. But if we remember, the tribulation period, according to Daniel chapter 9, has six purposes. Three of them are positive, three of them are negative. And the three, positive, or the three negatives 
have to do with breaking the stubborn will of Israel. Okay, so first we got to realize that COVID-19, none of this has to do with America's judgment or the world's judgment. If it did have to do with that, then we have to find out, okay, what sins are to be forgiven? God says our sins will be forgiven if we repent from our wicked ways. Ask 10 different people. You get 10 different responses on what this wicked ways America or the world has to repent of. I could think of a few. <laughs> yeah, same here. We're not going to expect our country to be rid of this virus necessarily because God never promised us that he would necessarily remove the virus from us if we do this, that. It's not a four-step process like you said before. Mm -hmm. That was covenanted with Israel. What we got to realize is we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world with fallen people who make bad choices that affect a lot of people. That's one of the first things. This passage actually reveals a few things about God and things we can take and apply to our life today. Remember, all passages, anything we study, any scripture or verses, we need to try to, try to find out where is God? Where is Jesus? What does this say about God? What does this say about Jesus? How does this fix my relationship? Uh, is there a new trait of God? Is there a method or a plan of God that he has for me in my life? That's what we need to look at. So first off, with this passage, we need to realize that God listens. God heard Solomon's prayer. Even though it was eight days had passed since, since Solomon had prayed, God replied. This tells us we need to be persistent and we need to persevere in prayer. Like Charles Stanley said once, God will know how much you need something or how much you care about something based upon how often you pray about it. Another thing we take from this passage is God has mercy. God has mercy upon those who turn their back on him. This is wonderful insight into reconciliation back into abiding fellowship with God. Just like the Israelites, we all fall at times. We all have problems with idolatry. We all break fellowship. We all sin. Just as we do with any other relationship, we have this estrangement. But unlike earthly relationships, God is waiting to forgive us. And he is wanting to have us reconciled. But we must be humble. We must seek God. We must acknowledge our transgression against him and restore that fellowship. Much more could be said, but that should suffice for now. I just encourage all the listeners today, study the passage out in light of its context and find the application for your life today. Well, this has been very informative. Thanks for letting me pick your brain. And as always, we want to thank you for checking in and God bless. Thanks for listening. We pray this ministry glorifies God and edifies you, the listener. For more great content, including videos, blogs, newsletters, and a free ebook, check out our website at c4capologetics.weekly.com. You can also email us at c4capologetics at gmail.com with questions or ideas for future episodes. We truly appreciate you. Please like, share, and comment on this episode, and don't forget to subscribe for future episode notifications. Thanks for checking in, and remember to be bold and keep contending for Christ.